0: Grocery store shelves have forced a lot of Canadians to pay attention to exactly where our food comes from during this pandemic. Panic buying and bulk shopping for quarantine raise the question just how secure is our food supply chain? I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to a special episode of Down to Business, recorded as part of a series called Strong and Free Shockproofing Canada. The series examines how Canada, made wealthy by globalization and trade, can protect itself against pandemics and other future shocks. How can our country ensure some of our resources and economic power are reserved for our own security? This week, our topic is food. Joining us is Mary Robinson, president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture and part of a sixth-generation family farm on Prince Edward Island. The CFA represents about 200,000 family farms across the country, producing commodities including grains, vegetables, and animals. We spoke about the vulnerabilities in the food supply chain during the pandemic and the lessons Canada can learn from the crisis. So we don't have a shortage of food right now, but Canadians have been concerned as they see empty shelves at grocery stores. This still doesn't mean there aren't challenges in our agricultural sector. And one of the biggest challenges has been in finding workers to harvest produce to work on the farms across the country. Can you tell me about why we have this problem?
1: Well, this is not a new problem. This is not something that's just happened because of COVID. It's something that's been maybe exacerbated because of, of COVID, but it is a long standing issue for agriculture. It's just that it seems jobs in agriculture are not top of mind for most Canadians, especially those who live in cities. Location is a challenge. Most Canadians live in urban areas and ag jobs tend to be in rural or remote areas. So we, your, your point about needing workers for harvest, we need people for seeding planting, care and harvest of live plants and animals throughout the year. Obviously, in winter, there's certainly less cropping on land, but they need workers, a steady stream of workers through the year. And without the confidence of being able to access this kind of labor for each of these steps in production, it creates a lot of uncertainty uh, and apprehension on the part of farmers because we put uh, hundreds of millions of dollars invested in fertilizer and fuel and different input feed and labor to get that crop in the ground. And the, the issue is that right now, with spring on our doorstep, obviously this is the time when we must plant. Uh, you only have a certain window of, of weather to grow crops. And anyone who's, uh, who's grown a garden can certainly understand that um, crops take a certain amount of time. So we've got to get on with that. That's why uh, it's so vitally important for us to secure labor right now.
0: How many migrant workers typically come to Canada annually? Where do they typically come from? For how long do they stay here?
1: Sure. So, Emily, we've got in Canada, we've been bringing foreign workers into Canada for well over five decades. And recently, you know, numbers are for for agriculture primary production. We're bringing in just under 60,000 foreign workers. And most of these workers probably half come from Mexico. 20% 20% from Guatemala, a little less than 20% from Jamaica. And and then our grain growers typically would look at areas like South Africa, Eastern Europe, Australia for workers. And I don't know if you saw the piece about beekeepers uh, bringing in workers from Nicaragua. And uh, we also have workers come from the Philippines and so on. And they come for um, anywhere from a season, which couldn't last up to eight months or a few years. It really depends. We do have uh, an impending agri-food immigration pilot, and many sectors with year-round workers like livestock and mushrooms are hoping to help secure permanent residency for many of these valued employees. So generally speaking, most farm workers do work in horticulture, and that can be greenhouse, nursery, floriculture, uh, field and fruit veg, tree fruit and vine, as well as bees aquaculture beef pork the list goes on
0: yeah it does go on and what percentage of farms would rely on foreign workers it's difficult
1: to say what percentage of farms would rely on workers because some types of farming are far more labor intensive Uh, if you would imagine a a grain farm that could be you know thousands and thousands of acres and and might need uh five or ten or fifteen employees um, whereas uh, 20 acres of broccoli might require 20 or 40 workers in the field tending and caring for that high-value crop. So that's what's really important here is that difference uh, because as farmers look to spring and they say, what am I going to do here? Some people who are in a position to grow those high-value, nutritionally dense crops that we see in horticulture and, and horticulture for people that don't understand, you know, that's your your crops like um, blueberries, raspberries, potatoes, sweet potatoes, onion, carrots,
0: tomatoes, lettuce, all of those kinds of crops. The trip through the farmers market in the summer months.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or in in Ontario, in in the middle of summer, more than ninety percent of the fruits and veg that are on grocery stores come from Canadian farms. So when we look at those farmers and they're saying, I really, not only is it more labor intensive for me to grow these high value crops, it costs a lot more money and inputs. It's a higher risk. It's, it's a much different production than, say, grain or soybeans. So we may see people deciding that instead of planting a crop like tomatoes, they'll they themselves or they'll lease their land out to someone else who may grow a crop that's Less expensive, less risky, less nutritionally dense for human consumption. And that could be, you know, corn that will go for feed for animals or what have you. So these are the decisions that are being made right now. And it's based on how much confidence do Canadian farmers have that they are going to be protected if COVID impacts their businesses. And Canadians should really be looking at this hard. I don't want to be alarmist. But I do want to make people think about where does your food come from? And when we look in a few months, right now, as you said, we're pretty secure for our food. We're still shipping crops in our warehouses here in PEI that was grown last year. And we'll continue to do that through to July, as will many other commodities. But as we start to see that time when we should be harvesting Canadian crops, right now, the decisions that are made are going to impact what we're able to harvest later this summer and fall.
0: Now, the federal government has offered 50 million awards funding to help farmers properly isolate workers that are coming into Canada from places like Mexico or Jamaica, and that's about $1,500 per worker. How and who is this going to help? And is that going to be enough to provide some security in our food supply chain? Well,
1: again, goes back to who's using temporary farm workers and who's not. People that aren't using temporary farm workers, and there are a lot, they obviously will not see any impacts from this announcement. The people who are using temporary farm workers. And I want to say a lot of these workers come back year over year to the same farm and they almost become like extended family members for, for a lot of farmers. So for those farmers, this will be quite meaningful. It it will address a portion of the costs associated with self-isolation. And it's really appreciated for that reason. It it should ease some of the difficult decisions about labor planning. uh, As you pencil out your your expenses and your projected uh, revenues as a farmer, if your labor costs are incredibly high, that's going to give you a lot of apprehension about making the investment. So it's going to be helpful for those people. And... We're going to be dealing with a range of other issues as we go through our season. You know, we've seen this huge shift in how uh, we're hearing uh, food that was destined for the food service industry. You know, food service industry sales have really dropped off, I feel, so much for the people in, in that industry. And what it means for agriculture is we typically are set up to either send products in a consumer pack or in a food service pack, a much larger pack. So we've got to make some shifts and changes for that. And also we're seeing a reduction in processing facilities as we see like Alamel and In High River, Cargill making an announcement that they're having to reduce the uh, finishing of animals. So that all of that significant uncertainty in terms of price and markets and transportation, that all weighs heavy on, on producers as they head into this very uncertain season. So the $50 million that was announced at $1,500 a worker, that that will help. But we do need much more.
0: What further steps should the federal government be taking here?
1: Well, CFA believes there is a need to put in place a number of measures that will provide farmers with the confidence to make these investments and produce food to full capacity. Canada has a business risk management suite of programs and the industry agriculture has been calling for years uh, to uh, restructure this suite. Uh, it, it's been viewed as as not effective and we've seen a decrease in the number of firms that, that do subscribe to it. So we would like to see that addressed, increased support. I mean, it, it was, in our opinion, it was broken before COVID showed up on our doorstep. And now it seems that government is suggesting that we use it to fix the problem, which is troublesome when you don't have a lot of confidence in that suite of programs. We'd also like to see government prioritizing access so, personal protective equipment, behind only health. But obviously our workers, we need to keep them safe. So we'd like to see government putting some priority in that. And we also need to bring Canadians on farm to work. So we're asking government for some labor support to fill those vacancies because we do have COVID impacting who can come to work. Maybe they have someone vulnerable at home and they can't risk being out or foreign workers that can't get here. So. We have vacancies there that we hope can be filled by Canadians. And beyond that, we're looking for a clear commitment to allocate funding for immediate support where needed. So we're in unprecedented, unforeseen times here, and and we know that issues can still arise. So we need a statement from government, a meaningful statement that we can take to the bank that uh, we have backing.
0: Now, Alberta and Ontario have launched these web portals to try to connect Canadian workers with farmers. Do you think that's going to be effective? I mean, Canadians tend to just not want these jobs, whether they don't want to go into the rural areas or they're not willing to take the pay, they don't want to do the really hard work. What do you you think these portals could be effective?
1: It's a great question. And we know every producer in Canada would love to be able to hire Canadians to do all the jobs we have on farms. That would be our first pick. Uh, Bringing farm workers in is is expensive, and it's time-consuming. It takes a great effort. But those temporary farm workers, when they do get here, they're experienced and trained, but not to a level that Canadians couldn't match, obviously. So with some on-farm training, Canadians can certainly do those jobs. But we have found through the years that Canadians don't always want these jobs. They may not be in the same location as the job because they're not in a a rural or remote area. They may not know about the opportunities that the sector Provides for long term careers. There's some very exciting careers that are uh, certainly not entry level or minimum wage jobs, and people generally aren't aware of that. It's, you know, agriculture is riddled with science and technology and, and quite exciting. And the other problem with domestic workers sometimes is we need to know that we have the commitment from workers for the whole season because if we see Workers leaving partway through the season. This is a critical issue for us because we need to have that predictability of labor. Because ripened strawberries in a field are not going to wait three days while you try to find someone to fill the job. The show left because he got a better offer. So. That's that's really, that predictability is important for us.
0: Yeah, that's another layer of challenge. Now, when it comes to, you know, strawberries growing in the field needs to be picked at a certain time, as as we're talking about the farmers dealing with uncertainty and perhaps shifting into more cattle corn growing versus produce that you'd see at a farmer's market for consumer consumption. I'm wondering, has this pandemic shifted how we should think about what we're growing locally? Say if... We're unable to grow these because of labor, or say if the borders remain closed off and we can't import as much versus what we export, how should this change on what we grow?
1: Well, we certainly are if you look at what's grown in Canada now compared to thirty years ago, wow it's it's pretty exciting, and the diversity has grown a great deal. i I always kind of smile when I hear local people here talking about their bok choy, um I, you know. 10 or 20 years ago no one knew what bok choy was. (laughs) Uh, I guess we're limited in our climate obviously but we do certainly shift towards those consumer demands like bok choy. So the, the evolution continues on what we do and how we respond to consumer demands. But really the the determining factor for us is our, our climate limitations. Right. And what can be done. You know, it gets more expensive. Sure, you can probably grow a watermelon in a greenhouse, but who wants to pay thirty dollars for a watermelon?
0: So as it stands, you know, our agriculture sector is so reliant on global trade. How do you think the pandemic affects that going forward as we talk about this sort of increased protectionism we're seeing?
1: Well, we've been told in agriculture, you know, we've got to be prepared to feed a growing population. And and you look at the trajectories of what the population will be. And Canadians should take a lot of comfort and a lot of pride in just how amazingly resource rich we are. You know, we are the envy of most of the world. If you have a look at our ability to produce food that's nutritious, safe, healthy, and affordable, there's very few countries that do that better than us. And that puts us in a position as well because we can, I think we're one in five countries that are able to export uh, more than we import for sure. So as we uh, we look around at what's happening in the, the world community, I think we certainly have a duty to continue to try to feed all of the souls on this planet. And diversification of export markets is certainly important to us. We, we saw last year what happened to our canola growers that's being uh, locked out of, of Chinese markets. We know we do produce more food than we can consume here, predominantly, you know, in our, in our grains and oil seeds and in our red meat sector as well. So we're in a great position and uh, we certainly do rely on the flow of goods on a, on a global level.
0: What's the relationship like with China right now? I understand beef and pork
1: are flowing to China, um, but uh, yesterday had confirmed that uh, canola is still facing some roadblocks there. And, you know, this global crisis certainly demonstrates the importance of maintaining opening borders for trade. You know, we just have to look at uh, what happens at the border with 3M and and N95 masks. So we certainly do hope to see these issues resolved as soon as possible, because just as We were really hoping to get those N95 masks in Canada from the U.S. There are many, many people in China who are hoping to get canola from Canada.
0: What lessons can we learn from this pandemic so we can improve our supply chain in the future, we can be a bit more self-reliant? I I know, as you said, we have this abundance of ability to grow food here, but there are some concerns that do we have enough uh, capability to process it? Do we have enough capability to provide that variety that Canadians have become accustomed to? I'm wondering, what do you think we can learn from this pandemic and take away to the future?
1: I think a few takeaways that I'm seeing the groundwork laid for is just in general, Canadians may develop a better understanding of how food gets to their grocery cart. You know, every piece of food that you eat today started on a farm. And and that's the case every day for everyone in Canada and everyone in the world. So if you look in, in this, past month, we've been in a lockdown situation. And I think I've I've put about one tank of gas in my pickup truck. Uh, but I know that I've eaten probably at least three good meals a day, probably eating too much while we're in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. But it is something for ag to be really proud of that generally, we do such a great job of producing food and I don't want to sound um, braggy here, but at the same time, Canadians rarely have to give a second thought to food. You know, you go to the grocery store and I expect, you know, as most consumers to find my strawberries there uh, in February. And, you know, that's a combination of producers in other countries as well as us doing our job well and the food supply chain working well. But after this whole storm passes, I hope that in general, Canadians are going to give more consideration to food production and making sure that each link in our food supply chain domestically is as robust as it can be. And we've seen over the last number of years kind of a decline in government support of agriculture. And when we look around the world, it it seems to be a trend that we're not seeing in other places. If we look in the states this past year, and close to thirty billion dollars paid to producers because of market disruptions, in in Canada, we we certainly saw nothing like that. So, I hope that through this crisis and and the tragedy that this is wreaking on us, that when we come out, we're going to reevaluate where we really need to ensure that we're protected. And obviously, uh, behind health and safety for Canadians, our number one priority has got to be food and domestic food.
0: Mary, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: I thank you for your interest, Emily. And I hope that uh, people don't be alarmed, but, at the same time, people need to pay attention because the old adage, you reap what you sow is so amazingly timeful right now because if we don't give our producers the confidence, and, and I don't mean lending them more money. We have seen you know great announcements about FCC and its ability to uh, offer more favorable loan terms to producers. This isn't something that farmers can borrow their way out of. These, these costs are real and producers are in a situation where they, they really can't affect the price they're paid. Unlike most other businesses who can just charge more, we sell on a commodity-based market. So when you go to the stock market and buy or sell something, you do it as to what the price is that day. And it's much the same for primary producers in Canada. So all of these additional costs that are laid at the feet of producers, all it does is it takes money away from farm families. So we need to ensure that we protect not only our natural resources, but the people that are the stewards of that resource and know how best to get fantastic food production out of it.
0: That was Canadian Federation of Agriculture President Mary Robinson speaking from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Thank you to the Financial Post team for putting this together. Yadoula Hussein, Bryce Hall, and Pamela Heaven. Next week on Shockproofing Canada, the topic is drugs. How prepared are we to provide our own pharmaceuticals if necessary? You can read our series on shockproofing Canada at financialpost.com. I'm Emily Jackson. Thank you for listening.